Good morning. Um, so the book of Romans, uh, as some commentators have said, is actually a missionary support letter. You know, you get those letters, people asking for money. So it's, it really is what it is in its essence. I think a lot of times we kind of hijack it, take it out of context and say, no, this is just all about theology. It's a systematic theology book. And really what we see, and I want you to consider today, is that the mission necessitates good theology. Amen? The mission is not good theology. The mission necessitates good, sound theology. And so this is what we're going to look at today because we have to be aligned as God's people to be able to stay on the right mission. There's mission drift in every church and every believer's life, the, the temptation. You know, if I were to take a survey of, of how many Christians study the second half of Romans 15 into, into chapter 16 intently, and you've got verses memorized and so on and so forth, I can guarantee you that our study would be much more lopsided on the theology and applications of the first 14 chapters of Romans. We tend to get these last two chapters in our Bible study or in a, in a, in a sermon series, and we just fly over them, you know. But I want to encourage you today that they're in the Bible because they need to be in our lives. There are no passages of Scripture, no verses in the Bible that you don't need in your life. <clears throat> the mission of demonstrating and proclaiming the gospel is what it's all about today. And because Paul doesn't stop at chapter 14, we can't stop at chapter 14 either. We need to be 16 chapter Romans kinds of people. <clears throat> a couple of months ago, Patrick and Erica did a session with some of our parents here at New City Church on one of the trends that they were seeing in young people. And it was this trend of uh, having a sense of spiritual apathy, right? Spiritual indifference, not really having a zeal for the gospel and for Jesus. And one of the things that we discovered throughout that process is, um, you know, that it's coming from our parents, right? From our own spiritual lives. Our parents are having a sense of apathy in their own walk with Jesus is trickling down to the kids as well. And I think, I think um, maybe, maybe that speaks to some of us in the room today. It certainly does to me at times. Um, that, that, that we all get into these places where we just have a general sense of apathy about Jesus. And it could be of uh, our unmet expectations of what he'll do in our lives. It could be just a general drift in our lives. It's just when you don't seem to care about spiritual things that much, that you're way more enticed by the things of the world. And you, you might keep showing up at worship in your missional community or discipleship group, but you just don't really have the zeal that you once had. And my question to you is this, have you ever stopped in those seasons to ask yourself, why? Why, what's going on, Lord? What, what happened to that first love that I had? Martin Lloyd-Jones, the, the British MD turned preacher, uh, wrote, a, uh, wrote a book called Spiritual Depression, and he talks exactly about this. I want to read just a little quote from this book for you. Here's what he says about spiritual depression. He says, the ultimate cause of all spiritual depression is unbelief. How easy it is to read the scriptures and give a kind, kind of nominal assent to the truth and yet never to appropriate what it tells us to do. Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking or preaching to yourself? This other man within us has got to be handled. Do not listen to him. Turn on him, speak to him, condemn him, upbraid him, exhort him, encourage him, remind him of what you know instead of listening placidly to him and allowing him to drag you down and depress you. The main art in the matter of spiritual living 
is to know how to handle yourself. You have to take yourself in your hand. You have to address yourself, preach to yourself, question yourself. The reason why so many today are living superficial Christian lives is because they will not take time to examine themselves. We must never look at any sin in our past life in any way except that which leads us to praise God and to magnify his grace in Christ Jesus. So what is it, according to Martin Lloyd-Jones, that takes us off mission? Jones will go on to say in that book, Spiritual Depression, great book, I've never read it before. He says, the gospel can become more of an intellectual hobby than a lifeline. Friend, you and I will never have to worry about living out the great commission that Jesus has called us to live out if the gospel is actually changing our lives. We won't be able to help but speak of what we have seen, heard, and experienced. Here's our big idea for today. The gospel has to go deep in the church in order to go wide in the world. Would you say that with me? The gospel... Yeah, we did it. Good job. It's good. Yeah, I think everybody, we, we want to see a wide expression of the gospel. And so we try everything to make that happen as a church, as individuals. But really, it's more simple than we make it out to be. When it penetrates our hearts, it can't help but go wide. It can't help but spread. So really, two points today that I want to make that we're going to look at that I think Paul argues for in Romans 15 about staying on mission is this. How to stay on mission. The first thing is we got to be clear on what God's mission actually is. And the second thing is this, we have to align ourselves with God's mission. So let's dig into that, be clear on God's mission. I think the best way that we can be clear on God's mission is to be, keyword, an active part of a solid church. An active participant, not a spectator, an active participant of a solid local gospel preaching, gospel extending church. One of the main things that Paul communicates to us here is the significance of being a part of the body of Christ. Yet, in our hyper-individualistic culture, we tend to think of the church like a grocery store more than anything else. This is where I go to get my spiritual T-bone or your arugula if you're a vegetarian, right? We're not judging. We talked about that last week, right? It's not one of those top-tier things. We tend to think consumeristically about the church. I go to this church because I like the music. Or this church because I like the preaching or the community or the groups or the way they serve the city. If our relationship to the church, and, and I want you to hear this, if our relationship to church never outgrows that mentality, you will not grow and mature as a Christian. Let me say it one more time. If your relationship to the church never outgrows that consumeristic mentality, you will not be able to grow and mature as a believer. And why? Because you will in, inadvertently limit the role of the body of Christ to only places that you think that you need. And at some point, every Christian just has to transition from this mentality to being, a committed, uh, to being in a committed relationship with other believers where we trust one another enough to be challenged by God's word and by God's people. And when the church is constantly auditioning to meet your needs, you remain a spectator, not a participant. So what does this transition look like from being a spectator to a participant, to, being, to, to auditioning churches, to being a committed uh, participant in the church? What does it look like? 
Well, we begin to see in Romans 15 is what it looks like, that the church is a family, and in every family, it's not always going to be easy, and that's by God's design. Let me remind you of what Romans 15, 14 through 15 says, and I want you to remember that this is a letter that was written by Paul, an apostle, who made many disciples to a collection of churches in the city of Rome. Here's what he saw alive in their church. He says, I myself am satisfied with you. You guys have done well. That you yourselves are, you're full of goodness. Your hearts are good toward one another. You're, you're filled with knowledge. You know God's word. And you're able to actually instruct one another. Like, you're not just depending on the pastors, on the elders, on the shepherds to instruct. You're instructing one another with God's word. It's a vibrant community. But on some points, he says, I've written to you very boldly by way of reminder, and I've done it because of the grace that God has given to me. So Paul's written some hard-hitting truth to the church. We've been looking at it for six months. He said things like this, you are so sinful that you are inventing new ways to sin. That's in Romans 1, right? You're all guilty. There's nothing you can do to save yourself. That's in Romans 3. And that's basically, in essence, what the first three chapters of Romans that we spent like two months on say, right? He said some hard things to them. But he didn't stop there. Romans 4 through 8 says God knows this about you. And out of his love, he still sent Jesus to come after you. He said you don't have to hide your sin. Romans 6 says you confess it so that you can live. And we learn in Romans 8 that there's more grace in Jesus than there is sin in any of us. Amen? And the rest of Romans has been about showing us how grace changes everything about how we think about ourselves, how we think about others, and how we think about God, and therefore how we live in community, Romans 12 through 14, with one another. So, because... In, in, this, in, this church, in this church in Rome, we see the family of God in action. He said they're able to teach, they're able to instruct, they're able to exhort and encourage one another because they're actually living as the family of God. But here's the deal that we have to take into consideration in the American church. In large part, we are so busy consuming spiritual goods that the church rarely has a full range of functionality in our lives. So, so what happens is that spiritual leaders, like pastors, attempt to play the game of trying out for participants to come into the church. And, and, and when they get in that kind of mindset for people, instead of preaching the gospel and making disciples, and, and I fall prey to this sometimes too, we as a church, you, you know, are trying to fight against this in every way that we can. But every Christian needs a committed relationship to a local church if we're ever going to mature. Even if you're just here for a season, even if you're just in college like some of you are, you need a committed relationship to a local church if you're going to mature. In another one of his letters to a group of churches in the city of Colossae, Paul says it like this, Colossians 1, 28 and 29. This is, again, a letter written by Paul, an apostle, to disciples that are in the city of Colossae who are pastoring and leading churches there. He says, him we proclaim... And, and here's how we proclaim the gospel. We are warning everyone. When's the last time the word of God warned you from the lips of another brother or sister? We're teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we can present everyone mature in Christ. No spiritual babies in this church is the aim, is what he's saying. He said, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy, 
that Jesus powerfully works within him. That's the work of discipleship in the context of a local church. Now, some of those words don't feel good in action. Struggling with toil with all of his energy as we're trying to present one another mature in Christ. So my question to all of us, and I've been convicted, I mean, like, welcome to the party. I've been convicted through this, you know, all week, right? I'm just like Megan. I've seen all the ways that I've come short, or a lot of the ways I've come short this week. And I want to be challenged, and I want to grow. I want to grow in this local church with you. Do you have a relationship with your local church where you can be taught, where you can be warned, where you can be presented as mature in Jesus? Do you toil and struggle with God's grace alive in you as you seek to help other brothers and sisters mature in Jesus? This is our whole vision as a church. And I want you to notice in our vision the movement of God's grace, how it moves inside and it moves out through word and through deed. Our vision as a church is that we exist as the family of God together, proclaiming, so speaking the gospel words, there is no gospel if there are no words, right? It's, it's nothing less than words, but also demonstrating the gospel. We demonstrate the gospel through our good deeds, through the way that we serve one another, the way that we learn, love one another, the way that we sacrifice for one another, the way that we toil and we struggle to present one another mature in Christ. And we do this to one another in the church, but also we let our light shine in the city, in the world, right? This is the main thing. This is the mission of the church. So my question is this. What is your relationship to Jesus' plan A, which is the local church, for your maturity and reaching the world? Are there any ways maybe that you're thinking about today, like me, where you've maybe lived as a consumer instead of a contributor in your relationship to the local church, the household of God? Have you ever stopped to consider how that might be stunting your own spiritual maturity by relating to your local church that way? And, 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 and lastly, what would, your, what would repentance look like for you today? Maybe for some of us, it's that we just got to settle down and serve, right? I mean, sometimes whenever I'm so judgmental about other things, the main thing I need to do is just to chill out and serve other people, right? A lot of things come into alignment when we choose to just pick up the servant's towel and to serve one another, to be foot washers, as Jesus said. Maybe you need to commit. I don't know what it is for you, but my heart, the thing that I toil, the thing that I struggle for, and our elders do in this church, our leaders in this church, is for your maturity. And it has to come through the local church because this is how God set the whole thing up. So, so that's the mission that God has called us to. Now, so what does alignment with that mission look like for us as God's people today? Alignment. It's a funny word, right? I got some uh, new tires and wheels on my truck a couple years ago. And, uh, yeah, and I drive a truck, not a Tesla, so you can go ahead and judge me. I get 10.7 miles per gallon, and every tenth of a mile counts, okay? It just does. I'm from Kentucky. You can't take it out of me. Um, it's just what it is. So I got these tires and wheels on my truck, and, of course, they were, like, too big, and so they were rubbing when I turned. That was awkward, right? And so I said, hey, guys, can y'all fix this up for me so it won't, you know, do that? And they said, yeah, we're going to have to kind of tool around with the suspension here. Um, and so, uh, you know, you're probably going to need to get an alignment, right? And I'm thinking, they're just trying to upsell me, right? They're, th that's what they're doing. I know how these people work. 
And so I didn't get the alignment. And I'm on 85 driving down the road, and I just I, I take my hand off the wheel just for a second because it's going to go straight like it always does to change the radio station or something. Or not the radio station. Who listens to the radio? Spotify, right? And, uh, and then my truck is like almost in the median. I got, a me- I got an alignment the next day. Uh, it was the right thing to do. Um, staying on mission, right, staying in alignment with God. It's the tug, the mission of God is the tug in our lives that keeps us aligned with God's mission. It's also what keeps those priorities and preferences and convictions that we talked about last week in the right place. The mission of God pulls all of that into alignment when it's in the right place for us. Because we don't focus on secondary and tertiary things when we're about the business of presenting one another mature in Christ. We don't have time for that, right? And so this is what I see. And so um, we have to adjust to God's will to be obedient and fruitful people. And this is what Paul's writing about in Romans, uh, the book of Romans. That's why he gets into such theological clarity is because he wants them to have alignment. Um, So we do things like confess sin instead of hiding it. Uh, We look for ways to be humble and grow instead of boastfully trying to prove ourselves. We give away time and money instead of hoarding it and keeping it. We talk about Jesus instead of ourselves, right? These are things that the mission of God calls into alignment in our own lives. Now, the gospel is so powerful and transformative because of the church's unity around our common mission. And that common mission is to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbors as ourselves, and to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that Jesus has commanded of us, and not forgetting what? That he is with us to the end. That's the main thing. That's how we can sum up all of the scriptures is what Jesus says. The great commandment and the great commission. It's what he's called us to. And, and, and our, our job is to impart the life of Jesus personally to other people. We're going to go into great detail next week about one of the chapters of the Bible that I guarantee you've never studied intently. Romans 16. There's so many names you can't pronounce in there. It's crazy. But these people are disciples of Jesus that have made massive impact on the city of Rome in the advancement of the gospel and the gospel going to the West, going to us. It matters. The spiritual family tree matters. Your spiritual family tree matters. we got to get in alignment on that. This is why we need Romans 16, because the church as an organization does not make disciples. It can't. Programs can't make disciples. Classes can't make disciples. Groups can't make disciples. Only disciples can make disciples. Only people can disciple other people. And my fear is, is that in general we've abdicated that role. We've farmed it out to the church, to the groups, to the teachings. Only disciples make disciples. And unfortunately, most Christians don't have a plan for that. They don't have a plan to channel the grace that's been entrusted to them. And when we read about Paul's plan, about how he wants to go to Spain, how he's going to settle out in Rome a little bit, raise some money, we kind of like, oh, man, come on, get on to something that applies to me. This applies to you. It applies to you because God so desperately wants to use you to change the world. 
And so, you know, as we look at this, you know, we realize that we have plans for literally everything else, but not for this, the main thing Jesus has called us to. And New City Church was planted out of a burden to help guide the people of God into having a plan and a map for how they are going to make disciples. And then when the mission of any local church is unclear, what happens is, is we start to react out of fear and we get out of alignment. You and I know you've been to churches that are out of alignment. We're trying to seek to make the main thing the main thing. And so Paul goes on and he gives several examples of missional alignment that we're to focus on. These aren't exhaustive. These are things that apply in Rome. I think they're things that apply to us as well. So I just want to go through some of those in Romans 15, starting in verse 17. Here's the first thing we see, ways to align. Seek to discover and fulfill your own calling. So Romans 15, 17 through 19, here's what he says. He says, in Christ Jesus then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. Not in a boastful way, but he's proud of what God's done through his life. He said, I'll not venture to speak of anything other than what Christ has accomplished. In Philippians 3, he rattles off his list of accomplishments. It's, it's pretty intense, pretty, pretty impressive, but he's like, I'm not going to speak about that anymore. He says, I'm going to boast about what Christ has done through me to bring obedience to the Gentiles by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way to Elycrium, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. I've done what Jesus has asked me to do. It's been costly, but I've done what Jesus has asked me to do. Now, each and every one of us have a specific calling on our lives. Your calling is probably not Paul's calling, right? Probably not the same thing, but there's definitely going to be some overlap. Paul's specific calling, you know, was to go from Jerusalem to Elycrium and pronounce Jesus where he had not yet been proclaimed. My calling's from Barry Cove Lane to the baseball field and all around, right? I mean, that's what my calling is. Your calling is different as well. And you say, Pastor, Jesus has never spoke to me in a dream, right? I know he speaks to you all the time. He's never spoke to me in a dream. He's never sent a carrier pigeon into my living room to tell me exactly what he wants to do. Uh, I don't know my calling. Well, generally speaking, in large part, all Christians have the same calling, right? There are specifics, but there's a general calling that we're all called to. And, and I want to encourage you, if you feel stuck in your calling, what does it look like to, to kind of be obedient to Jesus? To focus more on the big picture general calling. The more that you focus on that and you obey what Jesus has put right in front of you, the more the specifics of your calling Come, uh, become more clear. It's, it's like that example I used about spiritual gifts. You remember I talked to you about my boat and about how the kids want to drive the boat? And I'm like, yeah, that's fine as long as the prop's not moving, right? Because it doesn't go anywhere. A lot, a lot of times we're like, hey, God, what's my calling? The motor's not even moving, right? We're like, ah, oh, man, what's my calling? Is it this way? Is it this way? The more you get into motion, the more the alignment comes. So what's it look like? Well, we know that God's called us to love him with all our heart and to make disciples. Start there. So you might be in here and you might say, I have no idea how to do that, Pastor. Maybe you need to get equipped. Maybe you need to be a disciple. Maybe you've been in a church your whole life and you have no idea how to make disciples. I want to tell you this today. You are in the right place. You are in the right place. I don't care if you're 75 and you've never taught somebody how to read the Bible, you've never shared the gospel. Don't live in that shame anymore. You're in the right place because this church is a call to equip the saints for the work of ministry. We need all of us on mission together. So we realize that there's a word calling and there's a deed calling that he talks about. 
And it might sound pretty elementary, but the gospel is actually good news. It's, it's news. And what do you do with news? News is to be shared, right? You read the news. You hear the news. We hear a lot of bad news. We have good news to share. So the news is actually to be shared. Um, and so, you know, we see that his, Paul's, Paul's life had been changed because his, the news that he now shares is not news about Paul. It's news about Jesus. The things about Paul, they still matter, but they take, they're taking a back seat. And he, he shares about Jesus. You know, and I think we can suffer from paralysis as we imagine uh, being active in a word ministry of sharing the gospel. We think, man, I'm a manager at my job. I own this company. That's illegal. Whatever. You know, like, like what does it look like for you to be faithful to share the gospel? Sure, those things are like a footnote, right? And it might be part of the way that God calls you to suffer. I'm not sure. But I know that we have a, a call from God to share the good news that genuine converted believers of Jesus talk about Jesus. It's one of the trademarks of who we are. Now, some of us talk about Jesus more than others, right? We're all on a mission together. We're all being changed. But believers talk about what Jesus has done. It's the bottom line of what we do because you and I are God's plan A for making Jesus known to the world. And if you don't have this model for sharing the gospel, the, you don't have diagram. just talk about how Jesus is changing you to other people. Start there. You would be surprised at how far the Lord will take you as you just share your testimony in the moment, not your big picture story, how God's changed you today, how he's met you this morning. That's sharing the gospel, friends. Romans 10 says this, and we are, uh, how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach, who proclaim, who speak the good news. For they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he's heard from us? So faith, here's the key, comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. You want people to be, become believers around you? Let them hear the word of Christ through your lips. I'm just as guilty as you. I'd rather talk about the brave sometimes, okay? I'm just like you. Right? I want to talk about the Hawks because they lost. But anyway, the question is, do I speak the good news in such a way that I am approachable and accessible as a conduit of God's grace? Or am I simply using it as a hammer to beat people up with? Or do I hide it under a bushel where nobody could ever see it? What is your relationship to your word calling that Jesus has called you to? Now, the second part of this is a deed calling. You know, Francis of Assisi once said this, this, this thing that everybody loves. Uh, American culture loves this. Preach the gospel if necessary, use words. Now, <clears throat> y'all know what I'm going to do with this. Um, now, this appears to be a nice statement. The only problem is that the predominant feature of the good news is that it is word-based. And like any news, it must be shared. But it's not, he does make kind of a point here. It's not only word-based, right? But it's certainly not less than words. We are called to preach and demonstrate the gospel with our lives. We're, we're called to do that. That is, a, that is a command on our lives. That the gospel should bleed out through how we behave. <clears throat> Megan read this passage earlier, but I want to remind you of what it says. Jesus says this as he opens up the Sermon on the Mount. As he's looking out of this kind of Galilean hillside with all of these disciples who seem to want to follow him. And he says this. You are the light of the world. You're like a city set on a hill. I just imagine Jesus pointing up to the, the hill over there. You're like a city up there on the hill. And you can't be hidden. 
There's no such thing as a secret Christian. Nor do people light a lamp and they put it under a basket, but they put it on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. Your life gives light to all that you're around, is what he's saying. In the same way, let your light shine. And what, what that indicates to us is that there is a way that we can live where the light doesn't shine. Where we've got the switch off, the breaker's blown. I don't know what it is. And we're called to address that, right? So that they, the world, those outside of here may see your good works. It takes light to be able to see anything. And we see your good works. And when they see your good works, it's going to remind them of Jesus and their Father in heaven. That the way that we live out the gospel gives light to the world. So it matters. It's not a bolt-on. It's not something super Christians do. Let it shine through the way that you interact with the poor. Through the way that you respond when no one is watching. Through the words you use with others and the way you work at the office. It's all building off the foundation of your profession of faith. And it is cultivating a case for the legitimacy of your faith that you say has changed you. It's backing up what you're saying that you believe with the outside world. So are you clear on what it looks like to be aligned with the gospel word and gospel deed calling on your life? Where is the misalignment for you? Which way do you lean? Are you like a Francis of Assisi kind of believer, which is cool, you demonstrate the gospel, but you're weak on the words. Are you more strong on the word and you kind of let the deed slip? Where is the misalignment for you? Because we're all on this path, on this trajectory where we're growing together. It's okay. It's okay to be aware of those places, right? Because we're called to sharpen one another, right? The second thing we see about Romans 15 here is that there is a burden for lost people. There is a care for the lost. Great story here. Megan and I are just spilling all of our guts. Uh, maybe you guys will comfort us here. Yesterday morning, I'm out, and I'm working in the driveway. I got up early because I had a lot of stuff to do, like some of you. It was a beautiful day. I'm getting it done today. My neighbor, Tom, comes over to chat with me. He's cleaning up some things in the driveway, and he's lingering, you know, smoking a cigarette, you know, just, just uh, hanging out, talking to me. And I'm like, man, I got stuff to do. And so I kind of say, I say, Tom... Man, it's great to see you. We're going to have to catch up some other time because I got stuff to do. Oh, here's the thing I, you don't know about Tom. Tom's Buddhist, and I've been praying for opportunities to share the gospel with him since he moved in last summer. And here he comes over, wants to hang out. And I'm too busy getting my list done. Let me ask you this. 20 years from now, am I going to remember my list or am I going to remember that conversation with Tom? The conversation with Tom. And why do I go to the list? I don't know. Let's figure it out together, though. There is a certain burden that Paul is calling us to for the lost. It is a burden of priority for us. And our focus can slip very quickly. Who are the lost around us right now? The lost are those who are blind to the gospel and they're indifferent to the purposes of God. And I want to be more aware of the lost around me in my family, in my neighborhood, in my city, and even within our church, right? Not everyone who comes to this church knows Jesus yet. Here's what Paul says. He says, thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel not where Christ has already been named. I want to be a pioneer, missionary. That's his call. He said, I don't want to build on somebody else's foundation. I want to go reach the ends of the earth. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him see, and those who have never heard will understand. He's quoting Isaiah 52. 
If my heart isn't burdened for lost people, I may not be living out of what Jesus has done for me. You see, we have gospel amnesia. One of the reasons we get out of misalignment on mission is we forget what Jesus has done for us. If you've noticed, a grand feature of the book of Acts is Paul sharing the gospel. Do you know how many times Paul shares his own testimony in the book of Acts? Three times. We think about it like, hey, one would have been good enough. You know, two, maybe overkill, okay? Three times, and you know why? Because he can't help but remember what Jesus has done for him. The closer you stay to your own conversion and the story of what God has done to you, the more effective you're going to be on mission. The more drawn you are going to be to lost people. Because when I forget what it's like to be lost, I get out of alignment real quick. So I want to invite you to connect your heart with the mission of God this morning. Do I pursue lost people? Just to answer the question for yourself. Do I pursue lost people? Or do I judge lost people? We just judge blind people for running into the wall, right? That's what we do when we judge lost people. Do I have anything to offer the lost in my spheres of influence, my domain? Or do I just insulate myself from lost people and kind of stay in my lane? Church, may we make it our ambition to preach Christ where he's not been named yet in this city. Amen? Lastly, we're called to partner with others on mission. Think about this. Paul is ambitious. How old do you think he was when he wrote Romans? About 60, all right? So he has to get to Spain, right? So in, in the American kind of ecosystem, we're thinking about retirement. We're kind of winding down at 60, right? And he's ramping up. To, for Paul to go to Spain, do you know what would have to happen? He would have to learn another language. He had to learn Latin. I don't know how many 60-year-olds we have in the church. Maybe we do. People are looking to pick up another language so they can go live on mission, right? He's ambitious. I'm not saying you have to match his ambition, but it's not over till it's over for us, right? And my prayer is, is that we would be running with that white-hot zeal for the Lord all the way to the end. Here's what he says in Romans 15 where he kind of gives these details of the story. I'll just read it for you as we close out here. He says, this is the reason why I have been so hindered from coming to you. But now since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, I've preached Jesus to everybody. Um, and since I've longed for so many years to come to you, I hope to see you. I, to be honest, I'm going to Spain, but I hope to see you, right? He says, and I, I need to be helped on the journey there by you. That means financially, that means spiritually, that means he might need to learn Latin there. I mean, all kinds of things. And he says, once I've enjoyed your company for a while, I'm going to linger with you because I love you, but I'm on mission. He says, at present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem, and I'm bringing aid to the saints. The, the, the believers there, they're just being beat up. They're being robbed. I mean, they don't have the, the, the funding that you have in other parts of the world. He says, for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution to the poor for the saints. And I don't know if he's carrying a bag of money. I don't know what's happening. But he's got resources to give to Jerusalem because the church cares for each other, right? He says, for they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. The gospel came out of Jerusalem. They owe it to them. I love the conviction there. He says, for if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought to also be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. Why? Because it will be in the family of God in Rome. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea. The unbelievers in Judea were the ones that were persecuting the church in Jerusalem, right? 
and may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Friends, as I close out here, we're part of a church planning movement. It's domestic and it's global, and the Holy Spirit's will for us is to act in accordance with that global church, to do our part, to be burdened, not just for the church here, but for the church around the world. This is the call to the nations that God gave us. Paul has this ambition in Acts 1-8 for it to become a reality in his life. He says this. He says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Jesus says this, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem. So there locally, where the gospel first birthed. In all Judea and Samaria, the surrounding region, and to the ends of the earth. And this is the call for every believer. We're called to the ends of the earth. And some of us, for some of us, that looks different, right? There's different weighting on that, but we're all called to the nations. And so the question we have to answer for ourselves is this. Do we have alignment with God's vision for our faith? Or are we living in too, view a small, or too small a view of the church? This isn't about just going on mission trips, but I can tell you this. I so desperately want us to value the bigger story. To not get consumed with how one nation is doing. I'm going to Honduras this summer with two of my kids. And I can't wait to take both of them into Rancho Benita, the slum in San Pedro Sula, and sing in my broken Spanish accent songs that we sang 30 years ago, you know, to Jesus, and to ball because we're one with the church. We're one with the nations because Jesus is there and the church is there and we'll be singing throughout all of eternity. I can't tell you how much alignment that brings to my soul. There's a purpose for that. My hope is that people would be called to the nations from this church. That people would be called to plant churches domestically from this church because we're aligned with the mission. We feel called, we feel burdened by it. So how is God calling you to partner with others on mission to see the gospel advanced? It's certainly here at New City, it's certainly here in Lawrenceville and Gwinnett, but it's also beyond. Maybe it's global, maybe it's stateside, maybe you're called to be a part of a church planning team that's going to come out of this church. All I know is that when you catch the vision of Acts 1-8, you can't help but pursue it, to support it with everything you got, and you want to be a part of it. And it's my hope that we would be sacrificially involved in the advancement of the gospel throughout the world because of what Jesus has done for us. Now, here's the deal as I close this out. There's no evidence that Paul ever got to Spain, right? He never got there. He was martyred in Rome, most likely, right? <clears throat> His desire to go there and perhaps establish a new home base was one of the entire reasons that he wrote this support letter called the Book of Romans. Paul may have never gotten to Spain, but what mattered in the end has mattered enormously in the whole history of the church. And that's this. As part of his plan, he wrote this letter that has blessed us so richly. So what lesson is there for us in the fact that Paul wrote Romans in preparation for a dream that he never really realized? It makes so much of my life and ambition make sense. Sometimes God puts something in your heart and you chase it with everything you got it's never accomplished, but a whole bunch of other stuff is, right? May we be aware of what God is doing in our midst as we seek to live in alignment on mission with him. Hey, Pastor Ryan here. We're so glad that you've tuned in with us and watched one of our online sermons. Our vision as a church is to live as the family of God together, proclaiming and demonstrating the gospel of grace to one another in our city. 
If you don't have a church home or you're looking for a church, we'd invite you to attend one of our in-person worship gatherings so you can experience all that God has for us as a community of believers on mission.